From Project for Democratic Union, this is Emily mendez Darian, and you're listening to PDU's podcast. On this episode, we air an interview with Larry McCauley, leader of Refugee Radio, about the problems with migrant narratives in the media and the struggles of migrants to integrate into European society. My name is Larry Macaulay. I'm uh, a Yoruba man from Nigeria. I'm a public affairs analyst, social commentator, activist, and writer, and also the founder of Refugee Radio Network here in Hamburg. Refugee Radio is set up to be the voice of refugees and migrants in the world. We flagged off in November last year, and um, our job is to pass the mic around and let migrants and refugees be heard because there's a lot of censorship in the media against migrant issues, and we are here to correct the stereotypes that are there. So that's why we decided as refugees, I'm a refugee, an international protector. I'm under international protection here in Europe. And I sat down with the colleagues, colleagues of mine and we decided to create what we call the Refugee Radio Awareness Network, which is the mother association for refugee radio network. You could find us on the internet. It's an online radio and we also have... Um, Outreach, we broadcast on local media here in the city of Hamburg through our media partners, FSK 93.0 FM and TDFM 96.0 FM. What we found out, working with other groups here in Europe, is that the other groups, I mean the European groups, do like to tell the story on our behalf. So what we decided to do is that we are the ones that are, are the refugees. We know where it pinches. We The shoes in is in our feet. So we decided to tell our story in our own way. You know, you, nobody can tell me the issues of refugees better than myself. I'm the refugee. I'm the one who's experiencing a lot of discrimination, lack of inclusion, and so on and so forth. So I'm the one that can portray the real story not what the Western media does portray about refugees. Well, some of the prejudices that we find is that um, a lot of I've been I've done a lot of interviews and colleagues of mine have done a lot of interviews or documentaries and um, a lot of things are edited out of what we say. Okay, so that means they don't really want us to say what we say 100%. They want a little bit of the story from the refugee side, then they fine tune it with their own type of broadcasting because every media outlet there portrays his own story from the media's perspective, from the company or the media organization's perspective. So sometimes we say something, then it's cut out of the, the real picture. So that means you're censoring what we're saying. You understand? So we've, we face that a lot. We've seen that happen with a lot of mainstream media, Al Jazeera, Dutch Welle, and the rest of them. 
And um, it's just in the past two years that uh, we've seen the mainstream media pick up a lot of refugee stories as a result of the deaths in the Mediterranean. So you see a lot of stories coming out from that angle. If you listen to the content, you will see that most of the people always mention the disappointment when they got here, that it's not what they really believed. I mean, every refugee or every migrant always believes that Europe is like paradise and everything. You, When you get to Europe, everything is automatic. But that's not the case. And ours is to let the message come out and also to educate our people of the realities that are there. Yeah, okay, the perception is um, Europe is the gold mine of the world. You come to Europe, your problem is solved. That's the perspective of the migrant coming, especially the less informed migrant, let me use that word. Um, some of us who know better know the reality, but majority does not know that. So when they come here, then there's this cultural shock. I mean, I was in a migrant center last year, this same time last year, and I met with a couple of underage migrants that just arrived in Italy. And they were sent to a remote place in uh, in the south, in the Sicilia. And people from the community didn't, didn't welcome them, one. And two, when migrants are walking on the street, these people run away from them like they, are, they have some disease or the black race is not a race. So these kids were so disappointed. I was the one that I was able to re-educate them that they shouldn't let minor things like that bother them because one, these people that are, that do that do not reflect the wider picture, okay? This is a small community in the south. The country is still big. You get to bigger cities, metropolitan cities. Nobody looks at your color. Life just goes on, you know? So that's what, that's the example I can give you of um, people, uh, people, migrants as myself, who are not informed, believe coming to Europe is paradise. Everything is automatic. Uh, they can use, uh, if they give them one document in one country, they can use it to go anywhere and walk and start life all over. The element that is there is that almost 90% of these migrants coming in have the aim that they want to come and walk and contribute to the European society or to any society that they find themselves and move on with their lives. But the constraints, the rules and regulations, I mean, does not allow them to fulfill that dream. Some of them end up being depressed, uh, psychologically broken down, mental problems, and some even commit suicide in this because they couldn't handle the pressure of being not accepted in a society that they've always watched on TV and read about in schools that, oh, Europe is this and that, you know? So that's the shock that, that I'm talking about in this uh, discussion. The procedures are there. It's a European Union standard procedure. You're coming into a society, uh, you come into European Union, you apply for asylum or international protection, you have to wait the lengthy period. They give you a temporary permit of three months, pending the time your case is heard by the, the organization or the government agency that is responsible for hearing refugee cases. Immediately you passed that process, then you are given a permanent document to leave and work in each country that you, you, you request your asylum. We have what we call the Dublin 2 and Dublin 3 now, 
And this is a process, it's a law, it's a policy of the European Union that the first country you arrive in is responsible for your asylum procedure. So we need to teach our people more that they need to hold on. If they arrive in Italy, they need to hold on in Italy, be patient. There's a lot of bureaucracy, administrative bureaucracy going on. At the end of the day, the documents will come out. Then you can now start traveling. We need to inform them that these documents that you're given to only allows you to work in, in the country that is that you that gave you that document. You cannot use that document to come to a place like Germany, for instance, to seek employment. There's another type of documents to do that. So that's the kind of information we try to pass out. The idea is that you believe when Italy gives you a document, you can use it anywhere in the European Union to do work or something. Then when you start traveling, then you have an idea, a real picture of the fact that no, you can't use these kinds of documents. There's a certain type of documents you can use, like the EU long-time residence permit, uh, or except you have uh, EU citizenship, you have the rights, automatic rights of employment in any European Union country. So these are the kinds of information that they become equipped with when they start moving around, you know. So, but that takes time. That takes a period of time. Uh, Italy, for instance, I know they do encourage traveling. They do encourage a lot of migrants to move out and go and seek for their lives, their future. But this is not the way it should be done. You don't just give people papers and say, okay, bye-bye, go and look, look for your life. You need to empower them a little bit. You don't need to give them 500 euros like they did two years ago and say, okay, bye-bye, ciao. No, that's not the way it's done. You need to equip them enough to undo the wider society in order for them not to fall into crimes of drug dealing, prostitution, gang banging, and so on and so forth. But when we fail to implement these uh, social uh, reforms in the lives of, social integration reforms in the lives of migrants, then the end result will be the crime rate in the society will be high. They will end up, because they are not included, they could not get the job, then they end up on the street corner selling drugs, on the street corner prostituting themselves, and they become a nuisance to society. And this builds up stereotyping that, oh, those are black people, they're always known for drug dealings and so on and so forth, which is not the case. So this is what we try to do in workshops and symposiums that we try to organize with migrants and also the civil society. Listen, the point is, the reforms, the laws have already been written. They accommodate these reforms. If you look at, if you go and look, check the procedures of the European Union or individual states, you will find out that there are fundings readily available for integration of third country nationals. But on the local level, these things are not being done. They are not being implemented, especially in a country like Italy, for instance. I mean, the, of course, the government cannot be everywhere, but the government's responsibility is to award contracts to credible organizations that can handle, you know, uh, immigrants 
migration policies for migrants and so on and so forth. But the Vatican has done a good job. I must give that to them. The Catholic Church has done a good job with the Caritas Association. They are the only ones that we see that are really doing, that are really impacting on the lives of migrants. On the on the government level, it's a, it's a total failure. The implementation of uh, integration of third country nationals is absolutely failure. They come out every year with their reports, and you find all these statistics in these their booklets. But it's a total farce, you know. I, that's why I keep on telling any organizations that I meet that listen, if you want the real facts, you go talk to the Caritas. They have they are the people who who are helping the migrants on the ground, you know. So this, there's a disconnect between the NGOs, uh, the aid agencies, and the government also. We could stop this, and we could stop this by going directly down to Africa and start stopping this all the way to the Sahara. I've been through that road. I've been through that route. So I know what, what it takes to really solve these problems. And we also will need uh, security people also involved in order to crush the smugglers that are involved in this uh, trade, you know. It's, it's modern slave trade, and we need to really stamp down on it. We can't just be saying and doing things on the media, on TV, on CNN, and the rest of them. We could do more by engaging, going back to schools in Africa, teaching uh, young kids of the realities that they will face when they come to Europe because the story is not what they see in Africa, in schools. Young kids are growing up, they want to put on expensive things they see on MTV or in magazines like that. We are seeing a young age group of between 17 and 28 years old. This is the vibrant age of every society. If they are moving out in large numbers as they are doing now, and half of those large numbers moving out are dying in the Mediterranean, then there is a problem that we are looking at. There's a time bomb that will explode in the next few years in those societies. We need to really step up with it and start the preaching. I mean, start the, the what will I call it, the, um, trying to disseminate information through school projects and so on and so forth. That is not happening now. Most of these people moving around are professionals, are business people, and they do come into any society that they resettle in and try to create a community businesses that they could create. Like, for instance, I can give you an, an example of Italy, for instance. The economy has been growing as a result of immigrants that are in the country with immigrant set up businesses. You know, the kebab you see on the corners of the streets, the barbershop, the ethnic supermarkets, so on and so forth, importation and exportations of goods between Africa and between the different countries. So also these immigrants are also creating, impacting in the society. They are also helping to build the society. I mean so that's that's the way I understand it. It's a one it's a give and it's a give and give, you know. Uh, I come, I do and I build the society that I live around. Thank you to Larry McCauley for the interview. To learn more about Refugee Radio, check out the link at PDU's website, democraticunion.eu.